The financial needs of a business go beyond tax and attest services. That's why CTBK goes beyond accounting services and offers outsourced solutions through their affiliation with CFO Solutions Plus. These additional services allow clients to focus on their operational and long-term strategic goals. Trust CTBK's outsourced solutions to provide cost-effective, value-added financial services tailored to your company's needs. Call CTBK at 716-630-2400. Again, 716-630-2400. Or go to ctbk.com to learn more about CTBK's outsourced solutions. Welcome to another edition of Tim Graham and Friends, brought to you by CTBK, CPAs and Business Consultants. I am Tim Graham of The Athletic, here with Jonah Bronstein of the New Bronstein Times. I'm uh, sorry to hear that your acquisition of The Athletic didn't work out, Jonah, uh, upon news yesterday that the New York Times is uh, purchasing The Athletic. Um, well, maybe now you, you set your sights on acquiring The New York Times. Or we pivot the video. Well, we have already pivoted the video here on Tim Graham and Friends brought to you by CTBK, which is why everybody gets to look at us on YouTube if they choose. The numbers, uh, <laughs> the numbers show that people disproportionately do not want to look at us. Uh, they, uh, the downloads of the audio far uh, outdistance the views on YouTube, but it is so an maybe, option. Maybe we shouldn't give them that option. Maybe we should insist that everybody watches this podcast twice, listens to it, and then goes and watches it and likes and subscribes and comments. And well, I, you know, and that's radio. something that podcast uh, gurus say you're supposed to do, and I don't do it nearly enough, is push the idea of liking and subscribing. Uh, I, if you are listening to this, please uh, subscribe to Tim Graham and Friends on whatever platform you uh, prefer, whether it be Stitcher, Spotify, iTunes, SoundCloud, YouTube, that's five. I want to say yeah. there's a couple others out there. Um, all of the above. Or yeah, all of them like it, uh, if, if you do like it. But if you're listening, you like it. Uh, you wouldn't be, maybe you hate listening and um, that's fine too. Uh, but anyway, uh, I don't do that enough uh, to uh, ask people to please uh, subscribe uh, and, uh, and like. Um, I guess we'll, uh, I'll mention it just off the top uh, because I've been asked this a lot. Uh, so uh, people are curious. So I'll just mention it real quick. People want to know what the New York Times acquisition of The Athletic means for me. Uh, it doesn't mean anything for me. Uh, the Athletic is going to remain independent of The New York Times as a subsidiary. My bosses remain the same. Uh, they'll just have a New York Times executive that they report to. Uh, I'm under contract. And uh, hopefully I'm at The Athletic for a long, long time to come. I don't think this makes me a New York Times employee. Maybe it does. I haven't. I don't know. I guess it does. I don't, we'll, we'll see where my, my next paycheck comes from. Or once the sale's finalized, we'll see where my paycheck comes from. I, I might be a New York Times employee. Um, what do you think so, it means for me? Because well, I'm a uh, subscriber of The New York Times and The Athletic. Is that going to be something that gets merged? That's a question I have myself. Uh, if you subscribe to The Athletic, do you then get a subscription to The New York Times or vice versa? I don't know. I can't tell you. Uh, will you see um, athletic stories run on The New York Times wire? So, therefore, if, uh, if there's a newspaper out there, say the Chicago Tribune subscribes to The New York Times uh, syndication service, 
Uh, would a Tim Graham story appear in the Chicago Tribune? Maybe. I don't know. Uh, but the New York Times, uh, do they own our content? I, I, there's all kinds of legal stuff I don't know the answer to. I think it's um, good for the athletic and the readership in the sets compared to some of these other companies, DraftKings or Axios. I think that a very established and probably the most established and most name brand newspaper company, Virginia Athletic, really cements the athletic as a newspaper type, you know, highbrow journalism product, which is, I think, what The Athletic was trying to do at first and didn't really get away from, but it seemed like they were branching out and, and finding their way a little bit and looking at other mergers and other acquisitions that would maybe change the ethos of The Athletic. And I think The New York Times acquiring The Athletic keeps it with its core and its kind of soul being a newspaper-like company. Also be interested to see the fact that New York Times is a publicly traded company uh, what this means in terms of uh, knowing a little bit more uh, about uh, the athletic and, and the health of its uh, of, of the business side of things. Um, I'm used to working for publicly traded companies. I worked for Cox when I was at uh, uh, the Palm Beach Post, uh, ESPN as part of Disney. Uh, I worked at the, the Buffalo News, which is a Berkshire Hathaway company, and you, you get the stock report or the, 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 the quarterly reports and all this stuff if you so choose. Uh, as an employee to get that involved with uh, with monitoring your company. And uh, I guess we can do that now at the New York Times. Um, but uh, I don't have a lot of answers other than people want to know what it means for me. And as I understand it, nothing. Uh, status quo, the athletic is going to have the same goals and vision uh, in terms of its journalism. And um, we're going to run independently of the New York Times. So uh, that's all I can tell you about that. Um, one thing I want to mention, and we're going to be joined uh, by uh, University at Buffalo football assistant coach Joe Licata, the original F. All right. Are you an original F, Jonah? Were you there well, at the beginning so of the show? Here's the thing. I, I would say maybe in spirit because I've been here since, or, you know, season one of that radio show. But you weren't there at the first episode. I wasn't there at the first two episodes because I was down in, or up in Potsdam covering that Nick Hillary trial. Right. A couple episodes when you guys first started. So Joe Licata is the original F. My first co-host of of the old radio show. It was Uh, you, Bobby, and Yina Lou. Yina Lou is in there? Well, she she did that video job that I had taken over because I couldn't do the first episode. I don't remember that. I don't remember Yina being in the studio. Well, anyways. (laughs) Um, I wonder if the listeners can tell we're just killing time until Joe joins us. No, we're not. We're not. I actually didn't. uh, I just off the top of my, when I said new Bronstein times, when that came out of my mouth, I thought of my, the New York times and that I probably should say something because people have been asking me on Twitter. Um, I got a new barrage of uh, texts uh, this morning from people who read about it this morning, who didn't catch it last night, want to know what it means and hope I'm happy. And I am, I'm happy. I think this is good. Um, Probably nice that it's over with because it's been talked about and speculated sure. about for a long time, what, what the future of the athletic would be. And it seems like it's at least for better or worse solidified. Yeah. Well, I don't think it's for worse. I, I just, um, it's just miss it's, there's a mystery involved as into like what happens next. Um, but in terms of my job and everything, I, I'm ecstatic. I'm ecstatic. People um, are curious, and you probably don't know the answer. 
if it would change the uh, the Buffalo market and the focus and if, if a new owner so. would be less interested in smaller markets and things like that. But I, I don't think so. Plus Buffalo being in New York state, uh, New York times covers some stories up this way. So I, I, I think it, as you've mentioned a couple of times, I don't think anything's really going to change, especially in the short term. Many, many times it has come up in anecdotal form. Uh, while I'm at the athletic or when we have our collective meetings at the combine, which we did uh, the last time that there was an in-person combine. Um, When uh, Alex Mather or Adam Hansman uh, see me, they always make point to mention or that Buffalo is one of their strongest markets. So I don't think they're going to want to really play too much with, uh, with what's what they have in Buffalo. Um, we were, we were held up on internal messaging that we had uh, for other markets to try to hopefully emulate what happens in Buffalo. And I don't mean in terms of our coverage, but in terms of the response we got. When we launched in Buffalo, people in Western New York were so hungry for something different. And, you know, the Buffalo News had just shed a lot of talent from its sports department. Uh, WGR has had the same shows for a long time. And I think that the athletic came along at just the right time for the, for the Western New York market and it exploded. So um, they're, they're very happy with Buffalo. So I don't think they'd want to touch it at all. Uh, I mean, I, I think, and this is going to sound self-serving in a way because it, it reflects on what I do and what I could do, but I think the athletic could do more in Buffalo. It doesn't have anybody regularly covering any of the colleges, high school or local sports and anything kind of beyond the bills and the Sabres which is fine. I understand why that is, but if you, you know, WGR only talks about the bills and the Sabres and ESPN has a bills writer here and the Buffalo news has become more focused on bills and Sabres and a little bit less focused on local sports. TV networks do that a little bit. So I think it would be nice if one way or the other, uh, the athletic found a way to serve the Buffalo market in ways outside of the two major sports teams a little more than it has. I don't disagree with you, uh, and I'm not going to defend uh, the athletic per se, but I will, I will note that I don't think that WGR or the Buffalo News or 2, 4, and 7 um, ignore the college and high school scene out of laziness. I think that there's a reason why those things don't get covered as comprehensively as they used to be. And it's because the numbers don't support it now. Sure. Are, but are there I, ways? I don't, know if that's, I don't know if I agree with that justification. No, I, I, I hear you. It's the same thing as the, the, the town of Tonawanda town board meeting probably doesn't get many clicks on the Buffalo news.com website, but it has to be covered. Right. And that's a thing with, Newspapers, that's where newspapers are so important and their decline has been so significant to um, the population or, or the people that, it, that, that they serve is that you used to open up the Buffalo News and you would have every town board meeting, school board meeting, uh, zoning board meeting, all these things were covered. Uh, and now you only get the broad strokes of the big topics. Um, and you don't you used to get the police reports, uh, the blotters from all the different suburbs. Now you take a look at that area where it is in, at the, on the bottom of page three of the local section in the Buffalo News, 
and there's a bunch of white space there because in and, and the things that you might see are please contact us if you have a tip because they, they don't have the they're not drawing in or, or have the reporters to go out and cover these things. And that's the similar rationale or the similar reason why uh, the high schools aren't getting covered. And um, and it is a shame. But it used to be that papers had so much money that part of their philosophy was we are going to choke you with information because we can afford it. And you expect it, and we we're gonna we're gonna bank on your subscription because we 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 can afford to cater to 200 people in um, in North Tonawanda or in Lockport. Uh, we're gonna get your subscriptions, and now it's like can the the money that it takes to keep those 200 people in Lockport uh, don't justify it. So, anyways, that's that's just a long winded thing, and and that's the thing that's a shame of. Uh, of, of, um, of uh, amateur sports uh, falling through the cracks now. And, uh, and you see it at the athletic, you know, we've had uh, people who were covering entire colleges, you know, major colleges with a lot of alumni and it just wasn't uh, it, it, the results just weren't there. Yeah. Yeah. I certainly understand why the athletics, the Buffalo news and any other media property in its own silo makes these decisions based on, analytics and readership numbers. But as a consumer, what it does is it homogenizes the coverage. Every company kind of has the same strategy and is producing a lot of the same content and then different stories and beats fall through the cracks. And it would be nice if, and maybe this is a unrealistic expectation, but it'd be nice if different companies had slightly different strategies and you could get more variety of coverage. Cause I, I like the athletic. I love the athletic as a, uh, is a service kind of where I can get a subscription to all the different markets. I can follow all the NBA and NHL and um, baseball football teams. But it, for me, the athletic Buffalo does not replace the Buffalo news because it does not have things. The Buffalo news, even though if it does less with high schools and colleges than it used to still covers high school and colleges, I think better than anybody else around here, at least more thoroughly. And so, you know, you still, at least for me, and I subscribe to the Buffalo News as kind of a civic duty and for the news, non-sports coverage, but even with the sports, uh, there's things in the Buffalo News about high schools, especially, and colleges as well, that aren't being covered elsewhere, aren't being covered elsewhere very well in, in the same quality. Yeah, and I do think, yeah, there are niche publications out there, websites that can make money off of this, uh, if that is their business model and cater to those, uh, to that audience that, that feels it's being underserved by the, the major publications and broadcast networks here in town. And um, it, yeah, I keep using the word a shame and it is because obviously I came up in newspapers uh, in the 1980s and things were a lot different then. And that's what I fell in love with. And there's a romantic aspect of, of how it used to be. And it was pretty damn good. Um, but the money just isn't there anymore. Um, joined by Joe Licata, University of Buffalo assistant football coach, and uh, whatever other hats he's he's wearing. Um, Joe, what what else are you up to these days? Joe Licata football is still a thing, right? Uh, yeah, but I kind of had to take a little break with that. Um, the NCAA doesn't allow you to work with high school athletes if you're coaching in college. It's a recruiting advantage, obviously. So I kind of had to put that on the, on the back burner a little bit. Um, but I'm hoping to get back into it a little bit with the younger kids uh, at some point in the near future. Because you keep well, the T-shirt. 
I do. I have. I still. Have, I still have a few T-shirts. If if you guys need anything, I got some some good stuff. Um, I need a larger uh, pullover. Uh, I I had it. I wore it recently. In fact, I wore it on a flight. I think it was. I guess when I went to Tampa for the Bills uh, Buccaneers game. Oh yeah. A couple of people pointed it out to me. Uh, but those things uh, hug hug the body a little, uh, and uh, <laughs> I, I would have received mine three years ago. Uh, things have changed a little bit, so if you have a double X uh, on the pole, I know a guy. I know a guy. Uh, right. That seems to happen. That that's happened to me too a little bit. <laughs> well, Joe, yeah, thanks what? for doing this. Uh, it's we were really talking about how me. you're the original F on uh, Tim Graham and Friends, brought to you by CTPK, uh, the original co-host of the show. I've missed you and. Uh, Reached out last night to say hello, and then I'm like, "Hell, let's get on the show. Let's get caught up." Yeah, it's like uh, let's get getting the band back together. It's great right. to uh, great to be on. What? Uh, how was your first season at UB? It was great. You know, it's it's uh, it's different than high school. Obviously, um, it's all football all the time, which is awesome. Um, it's right up my alley. Uh, it, it was it was great to be uh, to be back at that level, to be back at my alma mater. Obviously. Um, and I, I think the world of Coach Mo, and when he offered me a job, I, I had to take it. Um, I never thought I was going to end up in college, but, you know, I, I, th I think uh, extremely highly of, of Coach Mo Linguist. And when he offered me a position there, I had to take it. What was – can you explain your roles? And I think you had a few different responsibilities in this past season. Yeah, so my official title is uh, Offensive Analyst, Quality Control, um, and high school relations. Um, so the high school relations part, it's just, it, it's essentially keeping good contact with, with high schools and especially Western New York high schools, you know, obviously being from here and having a good relationship with those guys already. Um, we put on a coach's clinic last summer. Um, we're going to put something together for the spring. So I help, I help with the kind of day-to-day recruiting stuff, uh, with, with the local guys, um, and on-campus recruiting. I'm not allowed to off-campus recruit because I'm not one of the 10, uh, full-time coaches, quote unquote. Um, but my, you know, day-to-day -day duties, I help with the game planning. I help with, uh, putting together the scouting report. Um, 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 coach Montgomery, Shane Montgomery, our offensive coordinator. I'm essentially his, his guy. How did it progress for you in terms of the season? Can you take us through, I mean, you don't have to go game by game, but how, as you were getting that transition, um, how, what, how did you execute? Uh, it was, it was, uh, it was a lot of fun, you know, just being, like I said, just being back at that level, um, was awesome. Being able to talk such high level football with guys who, who care about the game so much. Um, that was great. Uh, so, you know, game to game, it was, it was, uh, it was awesome. You know, you play Saturdays and then Sundays you're right back in the office, um, breaking down the day, the day before, and uh, you start right. You get you get the scout finalize the scouting report for the for the team that you're playing the next week. And then um, my role as a is a support staff member. It's funny, like you you uh, you kind of move on to the following week right away. So I would start the next team's breakdown on Monday. Um, so if we played Miami of Ohio uh, on a Saturday and we were playing Bowling Green the following week, I was already on to Bowling Green by Monday. Um, the, the Monday of the Miami of Ohio week. So um, it's interesting. There's a lot of data. There's a lot of, you know, you, you guys talk about analytics a lot. I mean, there's a lot of stuff that is behind the scenes that 
you know, on third and six, there's fans screaming in the stands about the play you just called, but there's a, there's a science behind it and there's a reason you called it. So it's, uh, it's really interesting. It, it's kind of ruined, it's kind of ruined uh, my fandom um, a little bit because I can't watch a game as a fan anymore. I'm breaking everything down. I'm thinking through it through it as a coach's lens, which is, which is kind of cool though. Was it as exciting or, or how would you compare the, you know, the emotions of being a coach compared to playing at UB? Yeah. I mean, nothing. It, that, that's, that's a tough, uh, tough question because nothing's ever going to compare to playing the game. Um, you know, I said this when I was a high school coach, like I can release a pass and get drilled and not see the ball caught, but I can hear the, the crowd go crazy and know that something just went well. And that feeling you can't compare to anything else in the world. Um, that's a great feeling, right? But now if you have an aha moment for a kid that you just taught them something and they, they get it and they click, that's the closest thing you get to it as a, as a coach. And it's an, that's an awesome feeling as well. Um, so there are some similarities, but that playing thing, that'll never uh, – nothing, nothing I've experienced so far can, can, can compare with that. Having played Division One football, you're obviously in a program and you're exposed to all most of the research, you know, that mm -hmm. the coaches give you, uh, whether it be for the upcoming opponent or whatever. Um, but is there anything, and you mentioned analytics, so I don't know if that's that would be uh, involved in this, but is there anything that as a uh, as a college coach you were exposed to that you were that maybe uh, was an epiphany of, of some kind of like, wow, we, this is, this is what they're doing with, with, with research these days, or this is what's in a scouting report these days. No, I mean, I think that, I think that it depends what coach you're talking to, too, um, with, you know, just, just going off of analytics, right? Some coaches feel the feel of the game. Some coaches rely on numbers. Some coaches, I, I personally think the best coaches do a little bit of both. Um, so there, there's not, there's never really an epiphany, but you know, you spend all this time worrying about what's going on and then you get into Saturday and it's like, okay, here we go. It's time to test it out and see what's going to work. Um, now the other, the, there's also a human element to it and there's guys on the other side of the ball that are doing the exact same thing. So they're making adjustments. So it's, it's a chess match. And, and a lot of times we try to make it a little bit more difficult than it is, you know, let's uh, let's take what they can't stop us and, and, and just keep running that. Um, but it's no, it's a, it's a great, it's uh football is a great sport. I mean, obviously I've devoted my life to it. Um, there's 11 guys on the field. It's, it's unlike any other sport where like basketball, there's one ball. And if one guy's the best player on the, on the court, you could put LeBron James with four other scrubs and, and they're going to make it pretty far in the playoffs. Whereas football, there's 11 guys that have to coordinate and, and come together for one thing to make it work. And I think that's the beauty in it. Um, and that's why there's so much preparation. And that's why coaching, I think, in that sport matters the most and as opposed to any other sport. Now, offensive quality control or any, any quality control position yeah. is a lot more important than it sounds uh, because quality control sounds, well, it's an entry-level job, generally. I'm talking about at the NFL level, too. Mm -hmm. um, so you doesn't mean that you're fresh off the street, but it's the, it's the foot in the door. And yet especially going back the last 10, 15 years, quality control positions seem to have a fast track to head coaching. And so I was wondering, maybe we can have a discussion here because I happen to know a little bit about this. I've done um, extensive uh, stories about 
quality control coaches and why this happens. But from your perspective, um, why is it that quality control is so integral to, uh, to a coaching staff in, in today's football? Well, I think, you know, obviously I've only been at Buffalo, so I can't speak to what other roles are at different places. Um, but I know what our support staff, and when I say support staff, I mean our GAs, our QCs, some of our volunteers, what we're responsible for on a day-to-day basis. And, and it's organization, it's research, it's knowing everything that needs to be known before we present things to our full-time staff. So our full-time, like I said before, our, our, we are focused on the next opponent and we have to get everything ready for the next opponent. Um, and give that stuff to our full-time staff so they can coach our current guys that current week. Um, So I think there's a certain level of um, being prepared and being organized and being ready to go that uh, I think is integral to, to just running a program. You know, I've ran a program obviously at the high school level. um, And I think that there are certain things that you're prepared for having been at the ground level Um, that once you get up to that higher level, you know, and you can respect everything that's being done below you. And there's a certain organizational element to it that I think matters. Yeah. The quality control coach, you're involved in so much minutia, the stuff that really the head coach and the position coaches don't have time or have any interest in, right? Right. Because it's the grunt work. Right. And yet the beauty of it is when it comes time for you to hand over those reports to the coordinators and the head coach and the position coach, you technically know more about, at least for a little bit, you know more about what's happening than they do. Yeah. Even though you're the entry level guy. Yeah, no, that's true. Like, like, like we've talked about, like they, we go into Sunday meetings and our coaches are so focused on what had just happened on Saturday that a lot of times they haven't had a chance to watch our next opponent. And so we, we as support guys have to, be able to hand over a binder of 50 pages of, of what their tendencies are, the team that we're about to play as we flip on that film, what cornerback plays to a certain side, or is he to a strength or is he to the boundary or field? We have to be able to have conversations about certain things. So that way, when we flip on that film and your third play in against uh, uh, UMass number 21, just pick the ball off. All right. What's his height, weight, where's he from? Where'd he go to high school? What offers did he have coming out? We, we have to know that stuff. Um, so it's interesting. It really is. And it's a, it's a different level. Um, it's a certain level of, of expertise and certain level of organization and, and being prepared that I think gets you ready to be at that next level professionally. With your role, your responsibilities with high school relations, mm-hmm. how important is that to the overall local recruiting, especially with a first-year coach? I mean, I know in Texas, but the Texas schools, that's serious business. Yeah. Well, I think uh, Coach Mo does a great job, and he he recognizes that, you know, recruiting is the most important aspect of, of college football, especially now. Um, so he puts a ton of emphasis on recruiting in, in our recruitment department. Um, so it's, it's vital. And I think having great relationships, especially locally, um, is so important. I mean, if you look at the history of, of – the University of Buffalo football program, you look at the top 25 players to ever play there, right? At least 10 of them are, are local guys. Um, so I think I think that that matters. And I, I know that Coach Mo puts emphasis on it too. And the walk-ons, I mean, oh, absolutely. walk-ons I mean, from all over, but the ones that have really worked out tend to have been local players. Yeah, you look at a kid, um, Sean Dolak from West Seneca, right? That's a perfect example. Didn't have a scholarship coming in, worked his butt off. 
And during a summer workout this this summer, Coach Mo awarded him a scholarship. Um, and he he played in the last few games, started for us the last few games. Uh, he had double-digit tackles in one of the games. I mean, he, he's just a kid that's worked his butt off. And I think it matters a little bit more to him than it does to certain other players because he's got Buffalo written on his chest and he's from here. And I think that that does matter. Why do you think in general, and maybe this is changing, uh, West New York players seem to have trouble getting recruited or they have to go to prep schools or take walk-on offers. It doesn't seem like uh, colleges outside of Buffalo are really recruiting this area that hard. Yeah, I mean, that's a, that's a complex answer. Uh, that's a, it's a simple question with a complex answer. I think there's a lot of things that go into it. Um, if you do look at the level of football that is across the country and you compare it to the level of football in Western New York, you will see a little bit of disparity. Um, and that's not because that there's less talented kids here. I think it's, I think it's based on opportunity. If you look at the way the state uh, values their sports here versus the, the way this, the way Ohio values football, it's different. There's seven regular season games. I think now there's eight but there was 10 in Ohio, right? So that's, that's three less games. Say a kid starts for, for three years on the varsity, he just played 21 games in, in New York State. Now, if he played three seasons in Ohio, he just played 30 games. That's nine games difference of experience. That's, that's a significant amount. So I think right from the get-go, New York State is just behind in opportunity and experience levels right away. Um, so just I think the value from New York State high school sports isn't, the same value that Ohio and, and other states that keep continuously pop out division one athletes um, has. So there's a lot of stuff that goes into it. Um, but then you will find some guys that are, that are studs that, that have come from this area and come from this state. And, and that's when you really find value. I think it's because the athletic doesn't cover the high school sports. Doesn't give them enough exposure. I think that might be a part of it. I don't know. We know anybody. Well, <laughs> you know, and, and Jonah's had experience with this too. I know, and I, I've covered high school sports. You know, that's how we most of us get started. But we've all received the phone call from the mom, you know, of the uh, the twelve year old uh, whose whose son didn't get the name in the paper, and you're costing her son a scholarship. Right. You know, he had twelve points and uh, eight rebounds, and uh, his name deserves to be in there. And you're costing you're costing him a scholarship. So it really does come down to coverage, right? Uh, yeah, as to whether or not. But it is, I mean, it is exposure. It's, it's the value, I think, in the, in the area that you live in. Um, and it just, it is, it is what it is kind of thing around here. And, and, but, but there are some great players around here. I mean, there's some, there's some great players currently that are juniors and seniors in high school right now that I think are division one athletes that I'm not allowed to tell you names, but I think that they're division one players and, and, and can certainly play at our level and can certainly play for us. Joe's friend Alex Newt will tell you that the Niagara Gazette helped him get recruited. Our, our friend Nate Butel wrote a, a column saying he should be a Division One prospect because he didn't have any offers, and Turner Gill called him, I think, the next day. Now, he's a kid. If, if he would have grown up in South Carolina or in Ohio, he would have had 35 scholarship offers, right? He's six foot three, six three and a half, and could track the ball better than anybody I've ever played with. That includes it, NFL stops. Um, he, he's unbelievable, but like we, like we talked about, like he grew up in, he grew up in Grand Island and just didn't have, uh, the exposure, I guess, nationally, um, to, to gaining those opportunities, but lucky enough for, for me and lucky enough for us, he stayed home and played at UB. Joe, uh, I want to ask you from, uh, you know, your, your technical expertise on playing quarterback and it's uh, something that you, uh, used to do, uh, uh, for the athletic, in fact, uh, 
tracking uh, the development of, of Josh Allen. I haven't heard your thoughts on this too much, and I don't know how closely you're able to watch the Bills games given your, uh, given your role and Sundays being a, a busy day for you in the college football world. But yeah. w- what have you seen out of Josh Allen this year and, and, uh, and how he's grown as a quarterback? Well, uh, to be honest with you, I haven't watched a ton. Um, just, well, then you know, why, are you, why are you here? We, well, <laughs> I don't know. Uh, no, I haven't watched a ton. I have been able to watch them uh, probably four times this year. Um, I have not watched every game. But it's been, it's been fun to watch him really kind of take over. Um, and you can see the, the reins kind of being passed over to him more in, in, with a lot more responsibilities, whereas his first few years it was more um, high to low reads, more – uh, read off of one guy, There's a lot of spacing kind of concepts. Um, and then as you saw him get more comfortable, um, now there's more full field things. You see him scanning the field. You see him uh, having r- the run game involved in his, in his, uh, in, in, in plays that are called for him. Um, so I think that that has kind of just been his uh, way of evolving and, and in Coach Dable's way of evolving the position for him to succeed in it. You know, Josh Allen made a, a quick reference to this, and I want I wanted to ask your opinion in general about quarterbacks. How much of a role does a quarterback have in how a team runs the ball? And not just the plays he's running, but in the reads and organizing and getting the run game working beyond just what he does with his legs. Yeah, so he, every time he walks up the line, he says, alert, alert, or can, 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 can. That's him switching the play. So it might be he might walk up to the line and have outside zone called to the right. And then in the play call, it's can uh, outside zone away or whatever it is. So if he's running a certain play to the right and he sees a certain look, he can he can audible or alert it to the other way. Or if he has a pass concept called and, and they have one linebacker in the box, he can alert to run a counter or he can alert to run something else. So anytime he walks up to the line of scrimmage and you see him touch his head and say, alert, alert, he's alerting to the next play that was within the play call. So um, a lot of times, a lot of times, a lot of those successful run plays are because a quarterback has gotten you into that, that uh, best, best possible play. Whereas like if you're in high school and you're in college, even a lot of times it's just kind of go with what you're, what's called. But now if you're in the NFL quarterback coaches or the offensive coordinator is in your head saying this can this or this alert this and you're able to kind of get your offense into the best possible play how about calling out the mic mac jones mentioned this after the game he played here when he barely passed the ball but that that was an important part of his role what's the significance of that yeah so when you when you call out the mic in certain in certain schemes like in, in the past game um, you're, you're setting your protection. So a lot of protections will be based off of a mic point. So if there's, if there's three linebackers, the quote unquote mic is the middle of the three. So if you're in a big on big protection, the offensive line is going to block the four guys plus whoever the mic is now in the run. Now where it gets complex is you're not always just calling out who is, who is the middle linebacker. If they're bringing a blitz off of one side, let's say you can re-identify the mic point to that guy who is blitzing, even though he is not by definition the Mike linebacker. So that's how a quarterback can manipulate the defensive calls or manipulate the offensive line calls by pointing out a different guy as Mike in the pass game. Now in the run game, it's the same kind of concept. So if you are running um, like a trap concept, let's say, or some type of wrap concept with the guard pulling and wrapping around 
where everybody else is down blocking and the guard's going to pull to a second level player. Now, the quarterback might be responsible for identifying who he's pulling for, or maybe it's plus one outside of the mic point. So if I identify number 46 as the mic, and number 46 is the left inside linebacker, and the, run, and, the, and the offensive line is supposed to block for the guy next to the mic, then everybody knows, okay, that left inside guy is the mic. I'm wrapping and pulling for that next guy outside. So he's really just instrumental in pointing out who is accounting for who in the run game. How hard is it for any, well, cause sometimes you see the offensive lineman pointing out the mic too. It's not just the quarterback, you know, they come right. to the line of scrimmage and you know, it's a free for all on everybody, you know, identifying the mic. How hard is it to identify the mic? I mean, well, why is, why is this a, if you can explain that part where Mac, cause a lot of people might hear that and say, all right, so you go to the line and you identify, but it's not, it's not that easy. It's well, a lot of times you play against these defenses, like the Patriots do a great job of this. They'll stand guys up and you don't know who's coming from where. So that really does matter. They might walk six guys up to the line of scrimmage and really only two are coming. So who you identify as it, it matters. It It's difficult. Um, but that comes into film study. That comes into rules of just, Hey, look, if they're in this, look, this is who we're doing it to. And this is why we're going with it. Now in the NFL teams run really like three different kinds of run plays. That's it. They run inside zone. They run outside zone. They run some type of duo, which is just a downfield zone kind of concept. Now they'll run zone a lot because it's, it's like a track base, whereas they're not going to, they're not going to go to a certain man because of this kind of concept that defenses are so complex. So defenses might play a guy like a guy like Khalil Mack or a guy who's just able to play linebacker or defensive end, they might walk them up and, and screw with an offense. So a lot of times these run, this, the run game stuff in, in the, in the NFL is really simple. It's just, all right, we're going to run the ball. We're going to run outside zone, right? Everybody is stepping at a 45 degree angle and running right and blocking the first color that you see. So Again, like I said earlier, we make this thing a lot more complex than it has to be, um, but it can get really complex. And you could you could spend an hour on a board talking about one run scheme, um, but the mic point is very difficult to make depending on what kind of defense you're playing against. It does sometimes. Uh, it probably behooves a team, uh, like you say, first white jersey you see, hit him. Right, just go. <laughs> Just go like it, a lot of times, like I said, you just make, you make things a little bit more difficult than they have to be. Like, let's if we are able to get in, get an advantage by shifting and motioning and, and adjusting pre-snap on offense and we know what look we're going to get on the defense, we're going to do it and then just run our play the way we want to run it. But a lot of times it's a lot of smoke and mirrors at that level. I mean, you see these guys running motions every play. They're shifting every single play that means absolutely nothing from the offensive side other than to try and dictate what the defense is going to get into. Knowing all this stuff, just because you were a quarterback and your offensive quality control and, but you also, you've had to coach some defense, obviously at Timon. Yeah. Um, but, and you probably could coach defense uh, because you know, has there ever been any pull to you? Do you, would you ever want to coach defense? No. <laughs> <laughs> Why not? Would you be able to? Because a is quarterback that a, is that enough to be no defenses as well as anybody. No, no, you're at, Tim. You're absolutely right, Joni. Is it an offensive correct. question to you? 
Is no, that, not at all. Not at all. No, 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 no. I don't take any offense to that question. No, and I and I and I could I, I do take pride in my ability to be able to coach any position. Would it field. be so bad to coach defense, Joe? No, it wouldn't. I just I just love offense. I just I love dictating the speed of the game. I love dictating what's gonna happen by what I'm calling on offense. Like I, I love I love that ability, having the ball in your hands always. I mean, that's that's just how I felt as a player and how I feel as a coach too. I just love to be the one um, dictating things. Uh, so, I, I mean, I would coach defense if I had to, but I just – I prefer offense. <laughs> what, uh, what are your plans, Joe? You've, you've given head coaching uh, and assistant coaching, high school, college. Uh, what – uh, have you, how have your plans evolved? You're, let's say 10 years from now or 20 years from now, what, what do you want to do with coaching? Uh, I, I just want to keep making an impact on kids. I mean, that's whether that's being a, a quality control coach for however long being a, being a head coach at any level. I mean, whatever it is, I just, I would love to make an impact on kids the way that um, my coaches have made an impact on my life as a man, not just as a football player. So wherever that leads me, wherever that may be, I'll be there. Money's money's not a money's not a driving force in my life. Um, so wherever wherever I'm needed the most, uh, I will be. How about like you come Spider-Man. from a family of uh, basketball coaches? Yeah, and you did some JV basketball time. And is that could we see you back on the sideline someday? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know about that. Maybe maybe basketball is my first love. I uh, I do love basketball. I love uh, I love watching my dad and my little sister coach. Now it's great to see. Um, but I don't know if that's in my near future. Which little sister's coaching? I'm sorry, I don't my, know. My little sister Grace is coaching. She's coaching basketball at Amherst right now. She's the assistant women's. Uh, oh, varsity. great! Yeah, yeah. Yep. I miss seeing the Lakatas. I used to. Yeah. I used to get a steady dose of the Lakatas uh, <laughs> out and about, but I haven't. It's been a long, long time. I know. I haven't been at almost too much. Uh, you know, working so much. But uh, maybe maybe we'll, we'll we'll sneak out and see you there one of these nights. I'd like that. Um, but I guess for the record, let me ask you about coaching at the professional level, because um, any anybody who is a head coach right now in the NFL or a coordinator, I guess most position coaches, too, if not all of them at your age, probably was already moving that way. Like you have to you have to have an organized an organized plan. You have to you know be willing to move every year if you need to all that stuff. But so those plans are in motion for a guy your age. Yep. Do you, would you have any, because, and the reason I'm asking is because you keep referencing and emphasizing kids. Yeah, um, yeah. So is, is college the, the cap for you, you think? Uh, I don't know. I, I, I don't know. Um, I did have a chance to go sit down with a few of the guys on the Patriots staff when they were here, um, which was a really cool experience. Just talking with those guys about their life experiences and, and where they were when they were my age, where they were, um, you know, what, what professional steps they've taken. Um, it's something that's crossed my mind. Uh, I'm not really one to, to, to make plans for 10 years from now or whatever. I, I just, I just want to be where I'm at right now. Be, you know, be where your feet are and, and make the most impact you can uh, wherever you're at. So uh, I haven't thought too much about that too, but uh, it is a possibility. Why do you think so many successful college coaches have struggled to make that transition when they do coach in the pros? I mean, there, there, some have, done well but it seems like more fail at that that than succeed yeah it's a, it's a different game um college is college is about half business half relationship based 
And I think that the NFL is about 90% a business and 10% about relationships. Um, you know, there's a lot of money involved at the, at the pro level. Now there's a lot of money involved at the college level too, but there's a certain relationship aspect at the, at the college level that you're allowed to dictate as a coach. Whereas in the NFL, the quarterback's a lot more important than, than who the head coach is. Um, you know, and they're getting paid a lot more than the, than the head coaches. So I, there's a different balance at that level. And I know for a lot of guys, that's kind of difficult to, um, to adjust to. Speaking of adjustments, how different would Joe Licata's life be had there been NIL while uh, he was at UB? Uh, you know, I, I talk with some of our current players about that and they're showing me that, you know, the stuff that they got. And I'm just like, man, if this was 2011 to 2015 and I was allowed to accept gifts um, and, and sign some NIL deals, I, I think I would have been doing OK in the NIL department. I think I probably would have had a couple free meals at Elmo's um, <laughs> and uh, maybe Sorrentino's. And and, and I, I think I would have been doing OK. I probably would have signed some local deals with some with some clothing brands and done all that stuff. But, oh. um, Oh my, probably, I probably would have been all right. <laughs> clothing. Not a millionaire, but I would have been all right. Right. You would have had an endless supply of Jordan jerseys. Let's hope. Or yeah. any, any right. 16s and 23s. Right. Exactly. You think you would have had a bigger deal than Khalil Mack? It's funny. You say that we he actually have we, well, we had this conversation. I, I, I might have locally had a, had a better deal. Um, but we, it's that, that conversation was had this, uh, when NIL became a thing, like who would have, who would have had more, most opportunities on the teams that we played on. Um, and I, I might've, so there's does a that, chance. Does that help? I mean, maybe I'll use a basketball player as a reference to, so you don't have to talk about any recruitable athletes in football, but you know, if a local basketball player, who's a five-star, four-star recruit and is going to a bigger school, but would a local school give them more NIL potential? I mean, they would. I mean, how much do you think that could help the local stars stay home a little bit? Well, I think it depends each, each kid you're talking about, you know, I mean, if you got a guy who's going to be an NBA draft pick, it doesn't really matter where he's going to go. And they know that at seven, well, you know that at 15 years old, realistically. Um, so that short-term money doesn't necessarily matter, but um, I think it's case by case. I mean, some, some kids are being guaranteed cars whenever they go somewhere. I mean, that's kind of always been a thing, but now it's legal. Um, guys are being guaranteed certain things that uh, certain places just don't have the, the, the means for it. Right. Um, so I think that is going to come into play. Um, the, the, the NCAA has really uh, opened up a lot of opportunities here and a lot of the, the, the whole recruiting process has totally changed um, from even 10 years ago when I was going through it. Where do you see it going? You, I mean, as, as your coaching staff probably plots this out, like you have to adjust for that. You have to, you have to be fluid when it comes to yep. these things. How, do, how do you adjust for it from a recruiting standpoint? It's uh, I don't, I don't know that answer directly. Um, it's, it's interesting with NIL and with the transfer portal, those are just two things that have kind of been within the last year or so. And uh, <clears throat> it's just changed the game completely in recruiting. That, as well as the extra year that some of these kids have gotten with COVID, um, the high school senior um, is at a <clears throat> is at a certain uh, has a certain challenge in front of them as opposed to a second year guy who is unhappy at 
a certain school and enters a transfer portal who's 20 years old but still has four years of eligibility left. So there's there's certain aspects <clears throat> to recruiting that have been um, not applicable in years past, but now certainly are. I think it's going to benefit women's sports and female athletes in ways that, you know, they couldn't utilize their brands. NIL for this. sure. Yeah. For sure. Definitely. Um, I think, I think if you look at the numbers of it, there, there are certain guys obviously that are, you know, draft picks and all the sports that are making a ton of money, but then the other, the, the most consistent money-making uh, people in this are, are the female athletes, I think on social media presences. And we joke about how, you know, the top football and basketball players were probably getting paid under the table years ago. Anyways, I don't think that was happening with women's sports and now that they can get paid legally I think more of them will be able to maximize their skills and yeah I think it's I mean I think it's I think it's great I mean I think it it puts the ball in in the athlete's court a little bit and allows them to kind of make make some money and and use their likeness um, which has never been able to to be done and and so it kind of evens the playing field out a little bit for for some of those people who maybe come from a from a poorer family or come from a certain situation where they they need to start making money and if and if they only have 40 games of their career I'm talking about their college career and they're not going to go play pro why not give them an opportunity to to, to profit off of what they're able to do and it doesn't cost it doesn't cost the universities anything either which I think is is a huge thing when you start talking about paying players yeah it lets them off the hook from having to compensate the players right Joe have you seen the Kurt Warner movie I have not. I have not gone to see it yet. But it looks I'm awful. It does look terrible, but it's one of those things. And Tim, you know how I feel about Kurt Warner. He's a top three guy for me. Right. One of my top three favorites of all time. I, I'm probably going to see it, but it looks terribly corny and awful. But I, I think I have to go see it at some point. Did you ever reach out to Kurt? Um, I never did. I never did. I, I'm, I'm going to tell you a story off the air after, but I never did. I'll, uh, I, I can go ahead and tell people this. I, I gave Joe Kurt's number and, uh, and, uh, Joe just didn't have the sack to call him. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, I, I do love Kurt Warner. I mean, that's, it's, it's the best sport. It's the best story in, uh, one of the best sport stories in sports history. It is let's, uh, but I don't know that I need to see that movie. No, uh, I don't either. <laughs> you know, the story. It doesn't look like they pulled it off. I don't know. It's hard. It's sports movies are hard. They are. They are difficult. You have to suspend belief uh, in a, at a, at a very high degree when you know the game or when you're around it a lot. Right. It's, it might be a great movie for uh, an eight year old. Um, but yeah, it's tough. Joe, thanks for doing this. Absolutely. Uh, it's great to, great to see your face. You're a handsome fella still. Uh, you, uh, you raised the, uh, the beauty quotient on the podcast quite a bit. Also the complexion quotient, uh, you, uh, you, we, we can't get any paler. Uh, so thanks for coming on with, uh, with a little, uh, with some complexion and so does, uh, Joe, does Joe have better lighting than we have, or is this just his olive complexion? And- My olive complex. I'm Sicilian. This is what happens. I, last think name a vowel. I think he's just got it. Yeah. <laughs> Joe, appreciate this as always. And uh let's let's get Mr. and Mrs. Lakata together and uh and uh we'll let's round up the gang and uh, wherever you go, I'll I'll come out and meet you. Awesome. I appreciate it. Thank you guys for having me on. All right, Joe. Take care. All right.
I want to remind everybody before we sign off that uh, you can watch all the college and pro games. Well, if there are ever any college basketball yeah. games played again, uh, you can watch them and all the pay-per-views uh, at Amherst Pizza and Ale House at 55 Cross Point Parkway in Getzville. That's right off of Millersport Highway in the 990. Amherst Pizza and Ale House, uh, TV's all over the place. Uh, you can watch the basketball, the hockey, the football. Um, Is soccer. Joe Licata's jersey hanging up in the Pizza and Ale House? We should ask him about that. I, th- I think it is. I think there is a Licata jersey in there. Uh, recognized by ESPN.com as Western New York's top spot to watch sports. Uh, a lot of energy in that place. It's always fun with all the different tap beers that they have and they, uh, the local micro brews and this, that, and the other. Stop in or call for takeout and delivery. 716-625-7100. One more time. 716-625-7100. Amherst Pizza and Ale House. Jonah, your thoughts on the uh, Bills-Jets game on, uh, on Sunday, 4.25 p.m. kickoff. Um, we talked about it on the podcast earlier in the week. Have your thoughts changed at all about resting, uh, resting players? Uh, the Bills really can't afford to do it, but let's say they get up uh, early. Uh, what, should they pull punches uh, for the playoffs? Well, one, I think it's a must-win game. You can kind of say that about every game, but I think it's very important that they get this game and they get the home division title and the home field advantage. As far as resting players, no, I wouldn't go overboard with that. Aside from we talked a bit about maybe the value of getting Mitch Trubisky some real game reps in the second half if the score allows for that. And and that's something that the Bills did in a different situation last year with the Miami game. But if the Bills can win this game in the first half, then maybe, yeah, you get players in there in the second half, but I don't think that resting or avoiding injury should be the priority this Sunday. I think that should be a secondary goal if you take care of business in the first half and then you're able to do that in the second half. Yeah, I think that uh, getting Josh Allen to the sideline at ASAP uh, would be a good idea, but like you say, they have to lock down the victory. It means too much, although if the Patriots were to lose 1 o'clock, uh, the game doesn't mean as much to the Bills. They can st- they'll win the division regardless, uh, and they could use those one o'clock games to determine what they do uh, during their afternoon. But um, an important game, and it wasn't supposed things, to be. Interesting elements with the other games. If Joe Burrow doesn't play and Cincinnati loses, the Bills could move up to the three seed. There's a lot of different scenarios that could determine who the Bills play in their first round game. If, if it's not the Patriots, that seems to be the most likely one, but it could be the Colts or the Raiders. It, so it'd be very interesting to watch the other results. I don't really see a scenario where the Bills lose this game against the Jets unless something goes really haywire early in the game and a major injury that knocks the Bills off their game plan. But I do think it's important that they don't look ahead to the playoffs and that they take this game seriously to avoid, um, you know, would be a huge letdown. We'll be talking about uh, playoff scenarios or no, the the playoff matchup. I shouldn't say playoff scenarios. We'll be talking about the playoff opponent on the next Tim Graham and friends brought to you by CTBK, which will come to you early next week. Thanks for listening. CTBK is more than just a full service accounting firm. They are one team with an innovative approach to accounting and rise to each new challenge with collaborative problem solving skills. 
CTBK goes above and beyond by lending helping hands in the Buffalo and Niagara community through volunteer work and donations and has partnered up with Victory Sports for 2020 and 2021 to keep kids in the community active. The professionals at CTBK are determined to help individuals and businesses succeed. Whether a large corporation, a small business, or somewhere in between, call CTBK at 716-630-2400. Again, 716-630-2400 and see what CTBK's one-team approach can do for you.